Greetings, Gary Zacharias here with the Apologist Bookshelf. I want to take a look at a second book by Alvin Schmidt. He is a, a retired professor of sociology. He's written several books. I've done one of his books before. It was called Under the Influence. I've talked about that, how Christianity transformed civilization. And this one is called The Great Divide, and it deals with Islam and the West. And I think what I'll do is stay away from all those chapters that get people uh, really uh, upset and you know, the life of Muhammad, uh, whatever it is. So I'm not going to look at one of those chapters. Instead, I want to look at the chapter called Science. And I think that's fascinating because we in the West have heard the idea that it was Islam that uh, first had science and let it flower, and then the Christians kind of hopped onto it eventually a little bit later. But he starts off in this chapter from a book called Why I'm Not a Muslim, a former Muslim, Ibn Warak. He says there's a persistent myth that Islam encouraged science. Now he says there are a lot of uh, they, you know a lot of uh, apologists will talk about that, but he says Orthodox Muslims. Now this is, he's talking about Warwick again here. States that Orthodox Muslims have always been suspicious of knowledge for its own sake, and they thought it was dangerous actually to have unfettered intellectual inquiry. Right, that's a bad thing for uh, Muslims. So. He says, well, let's take a look at that in this chapter. What, what was the relationship of science in the West and in uh, Islam? So he starts off with the, the West, and he has a subtitle here called Science's Christian Connections. He says, Alfred North Whitehead, a philosopher of science, not a Christian. And by the way, I love using non-Christians to support our points here because you find out that many of them understand what Christianity has done in a good positive light and will and they're honest enough to mention it. So here's what Whitehead said talking about science. He said, faith in the possibility of science generated to the development of modern scientific theory is an unconscious der derivative of medieval Christian theology. That's interesting. In fact he understood that Christian theology was essential to get science going. And somebody else, Lynn White, who's a historian of medieval science, stated this, the medieval monk was an intellectual ancestor of the scientist. Wow. How about German physicist Ernst Mach, M-A-C-H? We talk about Mach numbers for airplanes. I don't think he was a Christian either. He said this, every unbiased mind must admit that the age in which the chief development of the science of mechanics took place was an age of predominantly Christian theological caste. But he says, you know, we get this, and I say he is a Schmidt now. He says, uh, that sounds so incredible to people today that think science and Christianity clash. He said, well, there's a book by a man named White, came out in 1896. It's called The History of the Warfare of Science with Theology and Christendom. And he, in that book, White portrayed Christianity and science as enemies. But he said today, people just can't imagine that Christianity could actually foster and, and aid in the arrival of modern science. But Christianity, with its Jewish heritage, had certain presuppositions that actually made the basis for modern science. For example, they said there's only one God, and it is a rational being. And with those two presuppositions, he said that's what laid the foundation for modern science. Whitehead again, he said... Experimental science required Christianity's insistence on the rationality of God. I mean, if God is a rational being and we are made in his image, well, can't we then employ rational processes to study and investigate the world? 
And Christians said yes. And some Christian natural philosophers linked rationality with the empirical inductive method to get knowledge. And so you've got people like Roger Bacon who really pushed that hard. He was a devout believer in the truthfulness of uh, Scripture. All right, then much later you had Francis Bacon. He gave more momentum to this empirical method. And he actually started recording his experimental findings. And he was considered the practical creature of scientific induction. So this inductive empirical method, they said uh, these early people actually departed a lot from the ancient Greeks. We always talk about how wonderful the Greeks were as far as getting science uh, on the way. But they held that knowledge was required through deductive processes of the human mind. In other words, you just think of, you sit there and you think about things. And you can develop ideas and uh, ways that, that things operate. But they, don't, they didn't go out in the world and mess around and, and, and do some kind of experiments and all. So they, the, the Aristotle and people of the Greek time period there, knowledge was acquired through just your human mind. They had confidence in armchair reasoning. That was the only way they said that you acquired knowledge. Well, Christianity also developed something that was really good. It said God who created the world is separate and distinct from it. But the Greeks saw God or the gods intertwined with the universe. So that meant something different was going to happen as you started messing with the world. So then we get to the Muslims. Says, although some Muslim translations, especially the translations they made of the Greek classics, did provide some intellectual inducements, he said, no doubt. He said that did contribute to modern experimental science. But he said, Muslims did not invent it or encourage it. They just wrote about it, wrote what people had said, translated. The real pioneers of science were not Muslims, but Christians. And he mentioned some of them in the chapter here, which I'm going to skip over. And he gives a list. Good heavens. Let me see. I'm going to flip to it. Page 265. He's got this list of scientists. Oh, it just goes on and on. Scientists who were uh, Christians, right? They're all influenced by their Christian beliefs and values. Leonardo da Vinci, Galileo, Isaac Newton, Leibniz, Pascal, Kelvin, Faraday, uh, Ohm, Volta, Robert Boyle, um, Louis Pasteur, Joseph Lister. Anyway, so all sorts of people who got involved in scientific endeavors were Christians, and they felt very confident because of the kind of God that they believed in. Well, what about Islam's connection to science? Well, it said many Muslims and their apologists argue that Islam was the first to provide a home for science. Is that true? Well, part of it depends on what you mean by science, he said. The discussions of Islam supposedly uh, helping scientific contributions, they said, yeah, they did translate um, Greek literature that dealt with the philosophy of nature and natural phenomena and mathematics. But they didn't contain knowledge that dealt with the empirical experimental method. That was centuries later. And many of the translations that they praised as coming from the Muslims were actually done by Nestorian Christians who worked for Muslims. So it says these Nestorians, more than any other people, helped raise Islam to leadership in culture and science. So it wasn't them, it was some of the conquered people that they dealt with. And some of the translations of Greek literature into Arabic actually occurred before Muhammad founded Islam. So, before or after Islam came into being, much of the credit for these translations that they got from the Greek into Arabic had to be shared by both Muslims and Christians. 
Here's another point he brings up. Muslim Arabs were not the first to translate Greek scientific articles into Latin either. Um, there are translations of Greek writings made into Latin by Christians in Europe way back when. And he gives some people, Boethius, Cassiodorus, Benedictine monks, all sorts of people who did that ahead of time. All right, what else do they say about these translations? It says, some of the translations from Greek into Arabic were in higher mathematics, which is a Greek invention. And so it's apparently this exposure of this mathematics enabled Muslims to become good in algebra and algorithm. So he quotes from somebody who says, in general, the achievement of the Arabs in pure math is below the Greeks in geometry and below the Hindus in algebra. But, but this uh, person he quotes says, the Arabs did exhibit great skill to apply math to physical and astronomical problems. They taught Western Europeans mathematics up until the 16th century. So I like that. He's very fair here. But he says mathematics is not a science. It's the language of science. And uh, one author said that these Arabic translations of Greek authors were pretty inaccurate. So there's a question there, isn't there? Can bad translations be credited with providing a home for science? All right, what else? Well, he says the Muslims did refer to mechanical devices that were employed, but they were not invented by them. They were not technological innovators. Uh, Muslims didn't know how to harness a horse so it could pull from the shoulder with a collar instead of a yoke around its neck. That was pretty simple. The Europeans came up with that one during the what they call the Dark Ages, which people don't refer to anymore as Dark Ages. One scholar says Islam did not go beyond the achievements of Hellenistic mechanics. No new inventions of importance were made. Well, I think that's interesting. It says in philosophy and the sciences, the Muslims were the pupils of the Greek. Now, in fact, they regarded the books of the Greeks as fixed systems. That was it, once for all. You didn't need to come up with anything new. They got it all. So they just honored and worshipped the Greeks for their thinking. But it says even in astronomy, that's supposed to be something that the Arabs were good at. Islam did not provide a home for science either. They didn't make any advance in principles over Ptolemy, who was around 100 to 170 A.D. It says, while the Arab Muslims made considerable use and they improved the astrolabe, that was an instrument that the navigators could help you figure out your latitude and longitude, that was not their invention. The Greeks had invented it long, long before. Muslims didn't make any innovative strides in physiology or medicine. In Syria, for example, it says, the sciences, especially philosophy of medicine, were cultivated by Greek Christians. It said there was no attempt to follow new discoveries and little awareness of even the process of doing it. And then they, uh, he goes on another point, is that Islam sometimes persecuted some of its thinkers who wrote and discussed natural philosophy. And then he mentions Avicenna. It says pro-Islamic writers always say he's one of the greatest thinkers. They call him the prince of philosophers. And yes, uh, Schmidt says he does deserve that. He said what the Muslim writers don't often talk about is that Avicenna was severely persecuted by Islamic religious authorities. I didn't know that. I thought that's interesting. Um, finally, he says Islam was not a home for science. It never produced any individuals who employed the inductive or the experimental method. Zip. Zero. So I think that's a fascinating material. What about contributions they made. So he says, you do find some Arab Muslim contributions in astronomy and physics and math and optics and physiology and medicine all before the 13th century. Notice that, all before the 13th century. 
He says Muslim writers and their apologists do cite Avicenna and Averroes as brilliant thinkers, but they don't mention that at the time the religious authorities in Islam didn't like them. They were persecuted and, and harassed. And it says not just when modern science began in the 13th century, but even today, Islam lacks way behind the West when it comes to science. Uh, he quotes a person who says, The Muslim world produces a disproportionately small amount of scientific output, and much of it is relatively low in quality. Islam has something like 20% of the world's population, but it generates less than 5% of the world's scientific output. Okay, that's interesting. Um, let's see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh, here's an interesting quote. A historian of science says, "Foreign science has never ceased to be viewed viewed by the great majority of Muslims as useless, alien, and perhaps dangerous." So he says these sciences were never deeply integrated into Islamic culture. They survived on the margins. And Bernard Lewis said, "The Renaissance, the Reformation, even the Scientific Revolution, and the Enlightenment passed unnoticed." in the Muslim world. Yeah, that's really sad, isn't it, that that happened? So what's his conclusion to this? He says, much of the knowledge that the Arabs had came from the ancient Greeks. He says Arabian medicine was a little better than superstition. Uh, medicine and science in the Islamic world came to a standstill about 1100. It was Christianity, not Islam, that provided the presuppositions, the motivation, and the people who launched modern science. He quotes somebody else who says, in regard to the study of nature, quote, the church was one of the major patrons, perhaps the major patron of scientific learning. So the Muslims discovered no scientific laws, like Kepler's laws in astronomy, Newton's laws of gravity, and he goes on and on. They didn't discover bacteria. They didn't introduce chloroform. They didn't inoculate against disease. They didn't discover circulation of the blood, on and on and on. So it says these were byproducts of Christianity's influence outside the context of any Islamic influence or motivation. So he ends the chapter by quoting again that Ibn Warak, it's a myth that Islam has encouraged science. So I find that fascinating. I don't know that much about the history of science. So you might want to check it out on your own and see what you think. But I like what he's uh, talking about here. Again, he uses a lot of quotations. It's not him just rambling, right? He's using a lot of good sources. So this is Alvin Schmidt's called The Great Divide. All right, well, thank you, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon. Hope you're having a good day.